Good morning. Thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs> and thanks for coming out on a rainy day uh, to continue our journey through uh, this Old Testament book, the Psalms, uh, which we can think of as a, a collection of Hebrew worship poetry uh, that captures life in full color, the full human experience on display as we suffer and triumph, as we weep, as we rejoice, and as we seek the Lord with our whole person. Uh, That's what the Psalms is for us. And as we've been going over the last few weeks, we've seen so many different sides of the human experience come out in Psalms. And we would expect it as such that it deals with everything to also deal with death. And so it does. And this week, we're going to unpack that. What does the Psalms have to teach us uh, about death? And as Matt mentioned, this has been a subject um, heavily on our hearts and minds this week with the recent tragedy in Las Vegas. Uh, But it's been a relatively constant subject in my own household for about the last year uh, as my five-year-old son, Raylan, has been asking me nonstop questions about death since we lost our dog last year unexpectedly. I think it was the first time that he really saw death up close and started going, wait a minute, what's going on with this? And why I don't know the whole areas that he understands and what he has wrapped his mind around regarding death, two things have really uh, come clear that he gets right now. And the first is that death is an ending. He gets that. When you die, you are gone. That is the end. And then he also gets the idea that death happens to everyone and everything. There is no escaping it. And so I know this is on his mind a lot because sometimes right when he wakes up in the morning, one of the first questions he asks me, is today the day for dying? And honestly, I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know it for him. I don't know it for myself. None of us know is today the day for dying. Death hangs over our life, casting a shadow from the day that we are born. And the psalm we're going to look at this morning, Psalm 90, uh, deals with death full full steam ahead, looks it square in the face, and as such, it has often been used uh, throughout the centuries as a Christian funeral psalm. It begs us to remember that any day might be the day for dying. It begs us to make sense of our mortality. What does this mean for us? What do we do in the response of death? Where do we turn? And we're going to unpack this passage in two main sections. The first is the awful truth about ourselves, and then the second is the only right response. That's how we're going to break this psalm down. But first, if you've got your Bibles, would you turn to Psalm 90? Psalm 90. If you don't have a Bible, there are some pew Bibles sitting on the end of the rows. Uh, Grab one of those, please, and we'd encourage you to take that home with you, uh, to make that your own. Uh, But Psalm 90, and please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. 
Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is the word of the Lord. So Psalm 90, we're going to look at it in two big chunks. The first, the awful truth about ourselves, uh, and then the only right response to that truth. And the first thing we want to see is that this truth about ourselves comes to the surface in a series of contrasts that are unpacked in verses 2 through 10. Contrast between God and between man. Between God, who he is, what he is like, and between man, what we are like. Uh, And the first thing, if we're just going to look at what God is like, as described here in Psalm 90, uh, we'd see he's the all-powerful creator. We see that in verse 2. He formed the earth and the world and brought forth the mountains that he had the power to bring everything into being. He created all things. The second thing we see about God is he is from everlasting to everlasting. Uh, A poetic way of saying God does not start or stop. He is. This is why when Moses, seeing the burning bush, says, hey, who should I tell them is sending me? Who is this God? says, I am God is. He is everlasting. And and almost because God is everlasting, kind of as a fallout from that truth, we see uh, by definition, nothing about God is fleeting. Nothing about God is momentary. We see that in this passage. A thousand years is like nothing to God. A mere watch in the night. Uh, And a watch in the night was, was only one section of the night. That isn't even the full night. That's just a moment in the night. God is everlasting. God is not fleeting or limited by time or anything else. That's God. That's who God is. Uh, And contrast that. What is man like? What do we see here? Uh, Right off the bat, we see he's created. 
You return man to dust, verse 3. Points us back to the fact that we are created beings. It echoes the language that we find in Genesis, that God made all things. And we might be created, right, with an extra special purpose. The Bible talks about humanity is different than the rest of creation. We're created in the image of God, but we are still walking, talking dust. And as created beings, we are not eternal in the way that God is eternal. We are brought to an end. In fact, we see in verse 9, we don't even go out with a bang, but with a sigh. And then finally, our lives, our lives are fleeting. They go by quickly. They are fast, uh, like grass that looks great in the morning and then is withered and dried up by that same afternoon. And I love the language there uh, in verse 10. It says, we might even live until 70 or by some feet of strength, 80. And I wonder what that feat of strength was, right? Like what is their equivalent to hot yoga, chia seeds, right? And the raw diet or like the whole 30 or whatever everybody's on to get that last 10 years, right? But even by a feat of strength, all we get is 10 more years, And then dust goes back to dust. So God is eternal. God is everlasting. God is not momentary. We are created. We are not eternal. We will come to an end. And our lives are fleeting. They leave us before we can even fully hold on to them in the way that we want to. They always seem to be going by faster. And and I don't know about you, but this goes against everything in my being. I read a passage like this, and I want to connect with the grass in the morning that's flourishing. I'm like, no, no, that's me. I'm the grass renewed in the morning. That's who I am. I am not about to wither and fade away. No, certainly not me. And even if I am going to die, I'm going to make it to 80, maybe 90. I'm just going to, I'm going to focus on having an impact, right? On my family, on my community, uh, through my job. I'm going to live my life in bold with exclamation marks, right? And I was thinking about this. But the reality is, even if we think we're going to fight death by leaving a legacy, How many of us in this room could today name our grandparents' great-grandparents? Think about that. Your grandparents' great-grandparents. Now, there might be two of us here who are like, man, I'm on Ancestry.com all the time. I got this on lockdown. Call on me. This is it. This is your moment. Way to go. But for most of us, we know very little about those who've come before us. We might know their names, but we likely don't know what they cared about most, what their passions were, what their hopes and dreams were, what their impact was. Just like we will, they returned to dust. They went out with a sigh. 
So God, God, let's remember this contrast. God is the creator. He is eternal. He is everlasting, not fleeting. We are created. Our life starts and it ends and our life is not fleeting. Or sorry, our life is fleeting. And the awful truth, this awful truth about ourselves can be summarized by simply saying that man dies. Man dies. God does not Man sees death catch up everything that he cares about, everything around him, but it doesn't touch the eternal, everlasting God. And this is a sobering truth that this psalm doesn't shy away from. And so if this morning we are going to look at death and say, what is my response Pause for a minute and think about my mortality. How should I respond? Because real knowledge, real heartbreaking knowledge like this, it affects the way we think, the way we feel, and then what we do, right? It transforms us. And we want to see the only right response uh, that the psalmist takes us through. Let's, let's take a look here. Uh, what he does in response to this awful truth about man. Uh, And the first thing we see is that he's honest about where it comes from. Honest about where it comes from. Look at verse 7. It says, For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. Uh, The logic here is pretty straightforward. We are brought to an end because of God's anger. Our life ends. Death comes for us because of God's anger. It's almost stated so bluntly that it's shocking, that it catches us off guard a little bit. And it immediately raises the question, why? Why is God angry? Because the psalmist doesn't debate this. He doesn't act like this is a fact to be worked over to try to understand. He just states it as simply put fact. And we see in verse 8, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Our sin, our sin, which the Bible describes as outright hostile rebellion against our creator God, that sin brings about that anger, which brings about that death. And it's not even secret, right? That our secret sins will be before the light of his presence. So even if we feel like we've got most things on lockdown, And people aren't really seeing. God is still seeing. And in response to that, we have his anger. We have his wrath. And we see in verse 9, all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Uh, In other words, our rebellion against the Most High God results in a total and utter loss. We take up a war and we lose. And this makes sense in the biblical understanding of these big ideas, right? Because it's saying God is the source of all life. He is eternal. He was the creator God who gave you some of his life. And then instead we said, no, God, you do you, I'm going to do me. And in that, we're saying, I'm going to do death. 
I'm not going to do that life, that life of submission to the life giver. And so in terms of the right response to the sobering truth of our death, our mortality, we see first that the the writer has an accurate understanding of what's going on. This is confessional language. This is God. I am a sinner. Even my secret sins come before you. This is the language of confession. He doesn't debate that the God who gave him his life uh, has the right to rule over that life. But he, he doesn't just leave it there. But I, I wonder this morning, as we're thinking through such a sobering topic, uh, if you can relate to the author. If you've had one of those moments, maybe that car accident that almost happened, or that diagnosis, or that loss of a family member, something that happened to bring death closer to you. What have you done in, in those moments in response to a greater realization of the presence of death, right, and the fragility of life. What is your response? Because the death rate still holding steady at 100%. It is something that we have to deal with. And I wonder, if you wake up in those moments, I know sometimes my response has looked more like doubling down on my bucket list than any kind of repentance or faith. Right? That I've said, you know what? That was close, but I got more time, and now I'm going to crush it for real. Right? Now I'm going to seize the day. I only wanted like this kind of position at my company, but now I've got my eyes on director level. I'm going to be the chairman of this department. Right? It refocuses us on our on our goals for the here and now, potentially. says, I'm going to own what life I have left. But this response, brothers and sisters, is like the grass in the morning saying, I'm just going to be the best grass right now and not at all think about what's coming in the afternoon. That sun won't get me. Might get all this other grass, but I'm the greenest grass. Look at how green I am. If you came to my house, you wouldn't see that. My grass is mostly brown uh, pretty much all year starting in about April, April or May, right? But maybe you're that guy or girl who has your yard on lockdown. I can't relate. But how do you respond to death? Is it a call for you to be more about your goals? Or is it a response to lean into the Lord and faith and repentance? Or, or maybe you're hearing this this morning, you're saying, my sin certainly is not worth the death penalty. I've never killed anybody. I've never robbed a bank, right? You, maybe you have in your head a list of the ones that are really bad, but yours, they're just kind of small things. Maybe you see yourself as just having some minor issues with maybe one or two self-help books away from getting it together. But that is not how God describes our sin. It's not one or two little things that are almost outside of us, but it is at the core of who we are that we are always drawing a sword against our righteous king.
So wherever you are, however you respond to those glimpses of mortality uh, that come your way, I can't encourage you enough this morning to, like the writer here, respond first by an accurate assessment of what's going on. Respond in repentance. But then don't stay there, and we don't see uh, the psalmist staying there either. Move forward following the Lord in faith. And, And we might think that after the writer acknowledges that the Lord's anger sits over him, that he might try to run away from God, right? That if it's God's anger uh, from his sin that is sitting over him, he's going to try to escape God. But that's not what we see. We instead see him turn towards the Lord in faith and hope. Look at verse 13. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. He knows that the only source of hope for this sin and this death is actually for God to come closer. That God's pity looks like God moving closer. Not God staying away, but God drawing near. And then in verse 14, this is my all-time favorite passage uh, in the Psalms. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. The writer looks to the steadfast love of the Lord when he sees how fleeting his own life is. He looks to the everlasting when he sees the momentary. He looks to God's love when he sees his sin. This is a movement of faith. And he knows that this is the source of true and everlasting satisfaction. As everything around him crumbles, as the grass withers and fades, God's love is steadfast. God's love carries through the heat of the afternoon. And this this love from God becomes the source of glad days. It becomes the source of true delight that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. How is the psalmist going to rejoice in the face of death? He's going to rejoice because he has the steadfast love of the Lord. And ultimately, this isn't the end. This isn't the end of the story. Ultimately, we, uh, from our vantage point in redemptive history, see Jesus Christ as the fullest expression of God's love. As God's love moving towards us in mercy. We see in Jesus, God's love sent, God's love shown, and God's love secured for us. Uh, God's love sent. Uh, John 3.16, famous verse for a reason, right? It it captures the heart of the gospel that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe would not perish but have eternal life. Sometimes I think we can get in a mode of thinking like, Jesus, I get. He's that New Testament guy who shows up in love. But God, there's some Old Testament stuff there. There's some anger and there's some wrath. And we might mentally or emotionally separate the two, but the Bible does no such thing. It was God the Father in love who sent God the Son for us. 
Jesus is the love of God sent. It is the answer to that cry, have pity on us. Come closer, Lord. That's who Jesus is. But then Jesus is also God's love fully on display. Uh, Clearly shown both in the works and the words of Jesus. That when Jesus uh, healed, when he returned sight to the blind, or even raised uh, a dead man and then returned him to his family in joy, that was God's love on display, clearly shown. But also in his words, when Jesus said, hey, come to me, you who are weary. Hope is here. Love is here. The light is breaking into the darkness. God's love is fully on display for you right now. Jesus is God's love sent, God's love shown. But then ultimately, Jesus is God's love secured for us. That on the cross, uh, that steadfast love that the psalmist writes about was made ours now and forever when Jesus took on death. That in Jesus' death, the sin and the rebellion that brought death for us was dealt with ultimately. That no longer do our sins define us. This changes everything. This means that you or I, in response to our own mortality, don't have to try to figure it out. We don't have to have an answer from our bucket list or maybe righteous living or maybe wholesome, right, whole 30, chia, whatever your answer is. If it's not Jesus, it's not the right response. Because on the cross, God's love was secured for us forever, that his wrath was poured out, it was utterly satisfied, and now we only experience the mercy of God. That now, in Christ, we can be fully satisfied. We can rejoice the rest of our days, however many they are, knowing that we have the love of the Father. So in light of the steadfast love of the Lord, Uh, Death takes on a new perspective for us. It is no longer a period, but a comma. It is no longer an ending, because Christ has made an end of death, now and forever. And this puts a song of praise on our lips and joy in our hearts that can't be denied. So what, what do we do with that? Well, first like we've been talking about most of this morning, we repent. The first thing we do is repent. We acknowledge our sin for what it is, but then we turn to Jesus in faith. We put our hope, our desperate hope in him, that his steadfast love has overcome everything that we see as fleeting, everything we see as returning to dust, that his love never turns to dust. And then we learn what it means to live a life, even in the here and now, with the ups and downs and the sorrows that we all will go through, we learn what it means to live a life of enjoyment of that steadfast love. That we have that love in Christ, sent, shown, and secure. 
And if you're out there right now thinking, that's well and good, his steadfast love, but man, I am just not feeling it. It's just not my experience on a day-to-day basis. Or or you might describe your your life right now as spiritually dry. Um, Something you might try this week, really practical, that has helped me in dry seasons. Um, The book of John, uh, one of the four gospel books, it has a main theme of God's love uh, on display for us. And I would encourage you, this week, tonight, tomorrow morning, grab up the book of John, John in one hand, maybe a journal in the other, or something you can write with, and start looking at where you see God's love sent for us in Jesus. Just write it down. Sometimes actually investigating that and then putting it before your eyes can start to break up some of that dryness. And at the same time, ask the Lord to pour out his spirit to give you fresh eyes and fresh ears to experience his love. This is really practical stuff, and I promise you that the Lord will meet you. His word does not return void, and he works by the power of his word and the power of his spirit even today to show you that Jesus is God's love secured for you, steadfast, now and forever. Pray with me. Oh, Lord, um, we can never escape fully the glimpses of death that we see in this world, Father. But yet you call us to look past death and look to the eternal horizon of hope in Christ, Lord. You call us to live a new life of hope even while we walk in the land of death, Father. And so we pray that you would do this supernatural work that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear, Lord, and hearts that beat steady with the steadfast love of the Lord, which satisfies us every morning. And Father, I pray for those of us who, who right now just feel so distant from that steadfast love, who've trusted Jesus but don't live that out day to day or don't, can't relate to that, can't relate to the psalmist saying, let me rejoice and be glad all my days in your steadfast love. Lord, would you give this body, Lord, a fresh experience of your grace, what you have secured for us. Lord, and we thank you and praise you that we don't have to do it, Lord, that we don't have to conquer death because you did. Lord, we praise you this morning. You have done that which we could never accomplish. Oh, Lord, would you help us to go out this morning with a song of joy in our hearts in the face of death because we have seen the life giver. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.